about that city he's prepared. When I arrive, I'll know who placed me there. For my efforts fall so short of the glory of the Lord. He knew they would, so he the Lord Jesus Christ will take you all the way. Not only that, he's with us all the way, man. That's good. He indwells us and uh, permanent, takes permanent residency up in our hearts, and that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Now, how many of you, um, I just I talked to somebody already about the broadcast. Did anybody hear the broadcast lately? It doesn't, I mean, I, doesn't it sound like our voices are higher or something? I think they're speeding it up again. Uh, we're, we're having some problems with those guys, so um, we're going to see what we can't work out, but... I listened to Josh. I didn't know who that was on there. I thought it was, you know, like one of Santa's helpers. <coughs> and then and then I thought, wow, that's strange. You know, I don't know what he's doing to his voice. And then I got on there and I was like, who is that guy? I, I didn't have a clue. I was like, man, who is that guy, you know? And so uh, I thought, that's not cool. So they're, they're doing something. They're manipulating our broadcast so they can shorten it up or something. We're going to have to figure something out. And so, uh, like I say, I'm just giving you a pre-warning, you know, so if... <laughs> Something happens between us and the station, and we're not on next week. You'll know what happened, you know what I mean? But anyway, it should be fine. We'll get it figured out. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they've done it before, so I think we, I might have caught them again today. Just happened to be out listening to it. Okay, anyway, <clears throat> take your Bible, turn over to 1 Samuel, would you please? Chapter 31. 1 Samuel chapter 31. <clears throat> Some of the men in the room may have heard some of this. I'm going to share it uh, with everyone today. Someone came to me a while back, some time ago actually, and said, you know, some of those uh, uh, things you do for like the men's conference or for this or that, sometimes maybe you ought to share those with the church. And I thought, okay. And then uh, I got thinking about that and I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. As a matter of fact, there's one of those I shared a few years back that I'm going to use for... uh, uh, working with, you know, uh, couples uh, as we deal. We're going to talk about the home a little bit again. I'm going to use that dealing with the home. Um, one of the ones I taught at a men's conference a few, about four years ago, I think, or three years ago. So um, I, I thought that was a good idea, you know, and uh, this is one of those times. Uh, actually, I preached this uh, and taught this over at, uh, in the Philippines even and used it. And I thought, wow, you know, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us, you know. And uh, so <clears throat> I want to start in 1 Samuel chapter 31. I want to read the chapter there. It's just 13 verses long. Let's go ahead and read that. I'll read aloud. You read silently with me if you would. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. 
And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadad and uh, Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. And then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. When his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, and they that were on the other side Jordan, saw that the men of Israel fled, that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. It came to pass on the morrow, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, and stripped off his armor, and sent it into the land of the Philistines around about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. They put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. When the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose, went all night, and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan, came to Jabesh, and burnt them there. They took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh, and fasted seven days. <clears throat> now, in the passage, we notice a number of things. First of all, we note the fight. Right there off the bat, it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. Philistines, of course, were the arch enemies of Israel. Every time you turn around, you see the Philistines fighting Israel, especially in the time of Saul and the time of David. Uh, there were a number of other foes that Israel faced, but the Philistines were definitely one of their arch rivals. I mean, I could see, you know, it's almost like Batman and the Joker. I mean, it just, that was their foe. You just knew if there was somebody going to oppose Israel, the Philistines would do it. And in this particular case, we find them fighting once again. We notice not only the fight, but we note the fallen between verses 1 and verses 6. The Bible tells us here that Israel fled, that they fell down before uh, the enemy. There was a number of losses, uh, casualties of life, and there was just a, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, bloodshed, and Israel was taken to task, and boy, the Philistines really did a number on them. The Bible tells us also that Saul and his armor bearers and his sons fell as well. So not only did the people of God have a great loss, but they lost their king and they lost the king's sons and they lost those that stood before them as figureheads. We note not only the fight and the fallen, but in verse 7 then we note the fearful. The Bible says, And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Notice now again, the enemy has overcome Israel. And in this case, we see that Israel and its men ran for their lives. I mean, they, they just took off running for the hills, so to speak. And when they did that, and the people of, people of Israel saw that, they, they forsook their homes, they forsook their cities, and they went ahead and just, fled for their lives. 
You know, it, it seems to me as we look in, as we look at this, and again, we, there's spiritual applications all over the place here, but when you think about the people of God and the enemy, and there's this battle that takes place, and we could look at, is, uh, uh, you know, the Philistines as the world, and you see Israel as the people of God, and, you know, these cities being forsaken. Well, I'll tell you what, we're in a battle, and we see ourselves in a fight, and the truth is, is that sometimes when we see many believers falling by the wayside, we see them being defeated, and we note them often running for the hills, we ourselves get scared and we may forsake our cities and we may flee from our places and our home and our businesses and our schools. And instead of being a testimony and a witness that stands for Jesus Christ, we find ourselves leaving our cities and leaving our homes, leaving our schools to the Satan and to the enemy. <clears throat> so anyway, Israel and its men run for their lives and when they do, many forsake their homes and cities as well is uh, the Philistines now come and occupy those cities. We see the foe themselves, once again, the Philistines, but notice verse 8 through 10, while they're spoiling the dead, they come across Saul and his sons. They cut off their heads, they, place, they take Saul's head, cut it off, of course, they place his lifeless body on a wall, they display his armor in the house of Ashtaroth. And someone says, why in the world would they do that? Well, they're, they're claiming victory and they're showing the supremacy of their gods over the God of Israel. That's why they placed the armor in the house of Ashtaroth. See, our God is greater than yours. Our God is victorious. Our God is preeminent. They do this again to humiliate Israel and to once again display the supremacy of their gods. You know, the sad reality is that the fallen in battle always become trophies to the enemy. Anytime a believer falls, anytime a believer strays, anytime we take a step back, anytime we're defeated by the devil or by the, 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 uh, his devices, the fact is, is that we become, if you will, a black eye on Christianity and a black eye to God. We become a trophy to Satan and a trophy to the devil and to his workers. And they can say, and they stand before uh, the world and say, see, our God is stronger. And they don't have a God that can deliver. They don't have a God that's big enough to overcome their, their situation, their circumstances. It's so important that we understand that this is a battle that we find ourselves in. And that the enemy is going to use any opportunity it can to somehow take advantage of or to take ground of. And the truth is, is that you and I today, if we fall, if we falter, if we fail... There's no doubt the enemy's going to point and say, see, their God isn't real. Their God isn't big. Their God isn't able to help them overcome. And that's exactly what the Philistines were doing with Saul and his armors. They placed it there in, Ast in the, 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 the uh, house of Ashtaroth. The only way to correct the situation was to, res to rescue and to restore. And so... We notice the fallout in verse 11 through 13. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men, the Bible says, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. They took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Here we see a pretty clear application. We have those that are valiant men, the Bible says, going into the enemy's camp, 
stealing or taking that which had been lost, that which had strayed or that which had been taken in battle, and they basically reclaim it. They, they, they take it and restore it back to where it belongs, bring it back to Israel. The truth is, is when someone falls, when someone fails in the Christian life, if we're not careful, we're pretty good about pointing fingers and saying, see, look at them. Their Christianity is so shallow. Look at them. They can't stand on their own two feet. Look at them. They're so wicked and vile and wretched. I'm so glad I'm not like them. And we find ourselves, if we're not careful, almost kicking our wounded. Kind of, kind of kicking the dead, if you will, and, and almost gloating over it instead of being brokenhearted over it, instead of somebody stepping up and going into the enemy's camp and going to where they're at and where, they're, where you're needed and saying, listen, brother, sister, I love you, and God is still God on the throne, and He's able to deliver thee. And, and instead of remaining out here in the world and allowing Satan to have his way with you, God can restore you and make you whole again. And that's exactly what the responsibility of every believer is. The Bible says in Galatians 6.1, turn there if you would, please. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. There's so much to be said there in Galatians 6.1. If a man be taken, overtaken in a fault. First of all, it's so important to understand that there's not one of us that could not be overtaken in a fault. You know, isn't it, it's about ridiculous for us in this flesh, in our humanity in the atomic nature, to somehow feel that we're impervious to failure or to falling. The Bible tells us to take heed lest we fall. And the truth is, is that we're all prone to failure. We're already failures in our flesh, let's face it. No good thing dwelleth in this flesh, Paul says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one, in the spirit of meekness. Now again, the, the, the response of a spiritual believer when someone falters or fails in the Christian life or found struggling or backsliding, if you will, is not to sit and call their friends and say, did you hear about so-and-so? You, you know what's going on? Did you hear what happened to their marriage? Did you hear what happened to one of their teenagers? Did you see what's going on in their life? And you realize, you know, they've slipped out of church or they're going this direction or that. That's not the spiritual believer's response. No, the spiritual believer's response is to restore such a one. And notice the attitude by which they restore. Not a, <clears throat> brother, and I need to talk to you because God is on my side and he's whispered in my ear and made it very clear that you need guidance and leadership and I'm here to give it to you. No, it's not about you somehow, uh, you know, in your supremacy or somehow overcoming your issues and feeling high and mighty going before. No, it's a spirit and an attitude of meekness. Yes, strength, but quiet strength. Considering thyself saying, you know what, if it weren't for the grace of God, there go I. And you know what? My heart breaks because if it wasn't, if it wasn't then, uh, it, it could just be as well be me tonight. It could be me today. That could be me out there in the world. I could be the one that's bit on the the lies of Satan. I could be the one that's been led astray. That could be me. If it weren't for the grace of God. 
And so the fallout is these valiant men arose. <coughs> they make their way to <coughs> Saul and they take his body and his son's bodies <coughs> off the wall. They, get, they take them back to, to Israel where they belong and they, they bring them back home. And I want you to know today that that's what valiant men and women do. They reach out to those that are hurting and they reach out to those that are in need and those that have found themselves wounded and unable to get back to base camp, unable to return back where they belong. And instead of saying, you know, I don't understand them. They make no sense to me. We poured our heart and life into them and I just don't get it. They've turned their back on us. They've turned their back on God. They get what they deserve. Instead of acting that way and feeling that way, they say, you know what, it's time for somebody that's truly valiant to go out into the world and where they're at, where, where they need to say, I'm going there where I'm needed, and I'm going to meet that need, and I'm going to go out there and do my best to take that body off that wall and to bring it back to the base camp and get it safe and sound back in God's house where it belongs so that they can, they're no longer a black eye on God. They're no longer a, a, a hurt and a heartache to their family and themselves, and they're restored once again where they belong. <clears throat> and doing it with the right spirit. Because, see, what we find is a passage that depicts spiritual warfare. And we face it every day in our lives. 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Thou Now there therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're soldiers. We're in a battle. It's a spiritual warfare that we face. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the enemy is none other than Satan himself. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I told somebody not long ago, I don't even think that I, I, I... The devil doesn't have to waste one second on me. One minute on me. I, I'm small fish in the pond. The fact is, is that he just sends one of his imps or one of his demonic spirits to come and give me a lot of problems. He doesn't have to waste his time on me. There's a lot bigger fish out there to fry. But let me tell you what, he's still heading it all up. Satan is the main adversary. He's the one we're dealing with. He's the one that we're really facing. The Bible's very clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a spiritual warfare. And you know, the fact is today is that God, in the midst of this spiritual warfare, is looking for men and women to arise on His behalf and show themselves mighty in battle. He wants some men and women that will stand for Him, to raise the banner high. <clears throat> I love what Ian Bounds said. Ian Bounds said, God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And that's a reality today. You know, so often, and we, we talk about in our singles class from time to time, but, you know, it's not about what we do. It's about who we are that's most important. God's not as concerned about how much money we have in the bank account, how much prestige or authority or uh, how much influence we have amongst the world or whatever. He's more, most concerned about who we are in our character, in our person. That's what matters to God. Not what I do, but who I am. And, and that's exactly what Ian Bounds understood. 
When it comes to the house of God, when it comes to the church, when it comes to even as a father or a, 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 a you know, a, a son or whoever, a, a wife or whatever, it's the person that matters. It's the character. It's the integrity. The question then is, how do we become better men and women? How do we become valiant men and women? How do we become those kind of men and women that are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ that when others find themselves in difficult times, we find ourselves willing to go into the world if necessary, where they are, and seek to rescue them out of the clutches of Satan and the enemy's hands and bring them back where they belong. Those rescue missions aren't always successful. But it takes somebody spiritual that'll get off their high horse and their self-righteous attitude to say, you know what? I'm going to get in the the trenches now. I'm going to go where the great need is and rescue the perishing, care for the dying. I'm going to go out and try to help that child of God who's made a horrible decision and even rebelled and even rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and try to restore them, take them off that wall so they're no longer a trophy to Satan and restore them again in the house of God so they become a trophy of grace on behalf of Jesus Christ. How do we become that kind of man or woman? Well, I want to share five steps that I believe it takes to become a man or a woman, we'll say, of valiant. A valiant man or woman. It's five things, real quickly. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity that we have to gather tonight. Use these simple thoughts to be a blessing and a help. They're very practical, Lord, and I just ask, Lord, that you'd help us to give consideration to them and ultimately, Father, apply them to our lives. Father, we need to be valiant men and women. We need to realize, Lord, that if it were not for your grace, it could be us in that position. So, Lord, while you give us grace and while we stand for you, help us, Lord, to be willing to go out into the world and rescue those believers even that have taken steps away or, Father, to find ourselves even amidst the world that's lost and try to rescue them out of the clutches of Satan, bring them into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and see them rescued and becoming trophies of grace instead of trophies of disgrace. Father, we need you, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, if we're going to become men and women of valor, we need to exercise ourselves in the art of warfare. You've got to exercise yourself in the art of warfare. When I joined the military years ago, I was sent to basic training. Basic training is just that. You learn the basics, the foundational fundamentals of being a soldier. Now, there's a number of different schools After that, we have what's called AIT, Advanced Individual Training. Then there's a number of other schools that you can go to to to, to learn specifics about certain types of warfare and so forth. If you're in special forces or something, there's even more training to become more proficient at your job as a soldier. But everything, everything in the soldier's life begins at basic training. The foundation is laid at basic training. You learn the most fundamental principles at basic training. Everything else you will learn only builds upon that foundation. The truth is, is that the Christian soldier has to have the same mindset as the, 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 the physical soldier. 
the tremendous, the emphasis that we have must go back to that foundation. And who is our foundation other than Jesus Christ? He is the foundation for the believer. The Bible says over in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation of every believer is a personal and intimate communion with God or the Lord Jesus Christ. That is truly the foundation. That's where it all begins, with that walk, that relationship with Him. See, the real question should not be, did you read your Bible and pray today? The real question is this, did you meet with God? Because see, it is a spiritual warfare that we're in. It's not enough to wake up and just read your Bible, have your little prayer list and go through your prayer list. I've got, or should I say, uh, your, your Bible reading schedule and your prayer list and go, okay, I did my Bible reading. I did my chapter, my two, my three, my four, whatever chapters it is. Okay, that's done. A little check mark. And then I moved to my prayer list. Lord, bless, bless, this, 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 amen. And then check it off. I did my duty today. Off out the door to work or wherever it is I go school and I do my duty. Hey, did you read your Bible and pray? I read and pray every day, preacher. I read and pray the Word of God all the time. Then how's come you're struggling? In your, what's wrong in your Christian life? I don't know what's going on. I can't find any peace. I have no joy. I just don't understand my, any... I have no purpose. I feel lost in this thing. I feel like I'm out of the loop. I don't get it. I'm frustrated. I'm, 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 I'm just... I'm, I'm always on edge and I can't figure it out. But I pray. No, I pray. I read my Bible and pray every day, preacher. See, that's the wrong question. The question is, do you meet with God? See, the warfare, the shrill foundation of the believer's life is not whether you pray or read your Bible. Man, any Muslim can tell you he reads and prays more than we do. Realistically, most of them do. But they don't even, they're praying and reading the wrong, the wrong stuff. They're not getting what they need. The fact is they need Jesus Christ just like we do. But as a believer, you've come to Christ. You met Him at Calvary. You received Him into your life as Savior and Lord. But now you need to meet with Him regularly. There's a time when you just sit and you quietly wait on God. You listen for the Lord. You meet with Christ. You don't just talk to Him. You listen to Him. There is warfare taking place here. And then Satan is all happy and fine to let you just read a few scriptures and let it go one ear out the other. He's fine to let you just have a rote prayer and just go through the motions, check things off your list. But God, I'm telling you, the God of this world does not want you to meet with the God of that world. He does not want you to truly have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He does not want you to commune with the, the creator of all the universe. No, he doesn't. That's the one thing he doesn't want. The valiant man or woman must first and foremost exercise themselves in meeting daily with the Master. Not just reading or praying, but meeting with Him. If I asked you, in the singles class we have this thing where we started, it's not a matter of did you read and pray, but did you meet with God today? Have you met with the Master? Is His presence real in your life today? There's so much discontentment in the Christian life today. And we wonder why. We say, and you say, well, what's going on? Are you reading your Bible? And in most cases, people aren't even reading and praying consistently. But there are those that will say, yeah, I read and pray every day. But the way they say it even sometimes, you're going, you didn't meet with God. I can tell that already. There's no peace in your heart. You can tell there's no peace there. 
I don't know about you, but when life is just a rat race, when the world is turned upside down, when circumstances and situations in life overwhelm, and you honestly get in His presence, everything slows down. Everything comes into perspective. All of a sudden, all of that stuff is not nearly as magnified in your life for that moment when you are in His presence. And you think to yourself, if I could only stay here in His presence, if I could only remain here, I would be perfectly fine. And He tells us to leave our burdens there. But most often we pick them back up as we leave His presence. We walk right back into the world with our problems again. But boy, when we are in His presence, there is such peace. And that's the exercise. That's the art of warfare that you and I must be a part of daily, ritualistically, consistently, yes. Every day, all the time. If we truly want to become the kind of men and women that God wants us to be, that will ultimately be able to meet the needs of others and rescue those that are in harm's way. Ian Bounds said again, no amount of money, genius, or culture can move things for God. Holiness energizing the soul. The whole man aflame with love, with desire for more faith, more prayer, more zeal, more consecration. This is the secret of power. When's the last time you woke up to meet with God and, and you had, as he says, a holiness energizing your soul that your insides were aflame with love, with a desire. You thought, man, I can't wait to have more faith. I want to pray more. I want more zeal, more consecration. Oh God, I'm seeking those things in your presence. Oh God, my heart's desire is to meet with you and for it to be truly life-changing. He says that's the secret of true power in the Christian life. And most of the time, if we're honest, we come up out of our beds, run to our Bibles, read our little passage, make our check mark in our reading schedule. We go through the motions with our prayer life and we say, I've done my duty. And we head on out into life again and we leave God right where He was to begin with. We never truly met with Him to begin with. We just did our duty. And we wonder why we're so miserable and so powerless and so ineffective in reaching the world and in and living a life that's filled with joy even. Focus on the fundamentals. See, the basics are still the root of a fruitful life in Christ. It's always basics. And then, once you've done that, when you can meet with God, and you're not just going through the motions, once you've made Christ Himself your goal, He's the goal. Not getting through your prayer list, or reading your Bible's the goal but truly Christ Himself's the goal. Then be disciplined in your prayer and Bible study. Then be dependable in your church attendance and service to God. Then be determined in yourself to never abandon Christ. That's fine. But make Christ the goal first. So exercise yourself in the art of warfare. The art of warfare primarily, it begins, the foundational aspect is that intimate relationship with Christ. Work on it. Number two, be instructed and inspired by reading good books. It's important what we feed ourselves with. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's amazing to me to think that we can just go to church a couple of hours a week 
after being exposed to the world throughout all week and think that this would be enough to get it all done in our life. It's just ridiculous. I mean, if you have an illness and you go to the doctor, they don't say, well, just take this on Sunday and maybe one on Wednesday and you'll be set. No, you got an illness, they give you medicine and you take it each and every day. You take it consistently and sometimes you take it three times a day even. In the Christian life, somehow, we kind of think that it's just going to happen for us. That, you know, well, I'm a child of God and, you know, I'm just going it, to, it'll be fine. No, you need to feed yourself with the right kind of influences. Listen, don't, don't get on the internet and just read about subjects from anybody and everything. You are, you are walking a tightrope to destruction there. I'm going to tell you something. The majority, and, and just because somebody uses a King James Bible doesn't mean, listen, you know what the thing is now, and, and we're, I'm hearing this a little bit more, over in the Philippines it was a problem. I've heard about it here in the States starting to happen. I had a, a pastor or two mention it at a conference we went to, and I thought, I've never, I haven't heard anything about it really, but <clears throat> this whole thing about when does the rapture take place, does it happen in the beginning, of the, before the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, the end of the tribulation, and I thought that's... That's, that's so elementary, it's so basic, it's so fundamental, it's so simple. But yet, it's becoming an issue. You want to know why? Because believers, just like you, instead of going to your ho- the house of God, and listen, I'm just going to say it, instead of submitting to the authority of your pastor, you're reaching out past your pastor like he doesn't know enough to help feed you and meet your needs, you've got to go out on the internet and talk to some other preacher that's got a PhD instead of just a doctor degree or something. And he's got to go out there and find out what the Bible really says because maybe your pastor's not really as inept as he thinks he is and you could probably learn a lot more on your own out there. And so instead of allowing yourself to be guided and directed by your pastor. And somebody says, oh, you're trying to be a dictator? I don't know, but what I do know is that there are people getting all misdirected, all messed up, all just blown away in their Christianity, following all kind of stupidity because they are reading after, following after people on the Internet that they just read and think, wow, this, this guy makes sense. This gal makes sense. And you know what? They do make some sense. The only problem is sometimes it's not aligning itself properly and we find ourselves falling into false doctrine. I had a young man in the Philippines come to me and he said, talked about this issue. Preacher, uh, do you really, when, when does all of this happen? And I didn't know what he was even getting at. And I realized what he was asking. He was wondering when the rapture takes place. And I sat down and gave him three reasons why it starts pre-millennial, uh, I mean pre, pre-trib versus mid or, or post. And, and, um, He's like, oh, wow, thank you, preacher. I appreciate that. But he, they're getting stuff on the Internet. I said, where'd you read about this? Do you read this on the Internet? He didn't say anything. I'm going to tell you something. That Internet is, is destroying believers today. It's ruining and wrecking people's lives. <clears throat> you better be careful what you're reading, who you're reading after. But you do need to realize that you need to read. Um, Mr., you're going to come to me all the time with books. And, of course... Um, he's always reading after authors that I've encouraged to read or those that I endorse and that I, I think are, you know, are, are people that are like in our bookstores or books there. And honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. There are people in our bookstore that we sell books from and I'll hear things later and hear that they've changed their position on some things. And, but it's, it's been out there for a while. And somebody says, I, are you selling books from such and such? And I'm like, yeah, sure, pretty good stuff. And they're like, you know he doesn't use a King James anymore? No, I didn't know that. That's good to know. 
But think people change. Why are they changing? What's going on? Pastors that once believed in good standards, once believed in good solid music standards, that believed in uh, different kind of dress standards and had all the things in place, they're changing. So we continue to read after them. We continue to follow them. Guess what direction we're going to go then? Listen, we become who we read after. We become who we follow and who we listen to and who we fellowship with. Jack Howes used to talk about teenagers and he'd say this, you show me a teenager's friends and I'll show you what he'll look like in one year. I'll show you what he looks like in a year. If I just see the people he's hanging around now, I'll show you what he's going to look like in one year. And someone says, yeah, but that's no big deal. It is when they're not listening to the right music. It is when they're not going the right places and hanging out with the right people and they're sneaking around on their, their parents and going behind the back of their parents to do things they're not supposed to. Oh, they look like good Christians, but the fact is, is that their character is flawed and that teenager of yours is following and being with them, hanging out with them. And ultimately, I guarantee you, they'll be listening to what they're listening to, going where they're going, doing what they're doing. That's just life. That's how it is. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. <clears throat> so you need to read good things. We have some wonderful, wonderful materials out in our bookstore. Man, you need to buy some of that stuff up. Not because we need your money. We don't make that much, if anything, on it. But what we do know is that it will help you and it will meet needs in your life. It will help to secure you. It will help to reinforce. I think of that book, George Mueller, Man of Faith and, uh, Man of faith and Miracles. Man, that's a great book. That will encourage you. Get a good uh, biography from, about a good man. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, a good woman. Read something about somebody. It'll inspire you to live a Christian life more separated, more involved, and more faithful for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some wonderful books out there. Uh, I think of, and again, uh, Corey Tenboom. Have you ever read her book, The Hiding Place? Man, what an amazing book to inspire you. Um, we have a, a book out there called Living Purely by Jim Benny. One of the, uh, one of the greatest books I've, I've ever read. Uh, we, 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 we have a book out there <clears throat> by the name of uh, Changed into His Image. Probably the best book I've ever read. Uh, most practical, best book I've ever read. I'm hearing that possibly Jim Burke's changed his position on the Bible lately, but I don't know. But that book, I'll promise you, is a wonderful book. It was written a number of years ago for his daughters. It's a wonderful book. All I'm saying is, there are some amazing materials that will help you. Teenagers, you need to read other things. You say, I'm too busy with school. I'm too... Yeah, you'll never be any more free in your life. <clears throat> some of these college students, if we're not careful, they have a tendency to think that, you know. And they are busy. Some of them are working jobs. Some of them are full-time, going to school full-time, trying to provide financially. But the fact is, is that once again, you know, throw about three kids in the mix and they'll realize how much time they have now even. And I know I'm not trying to belittle their, their viewpoint because problems are real. Listen, if your four-year-old comes to you with a problem, don't make light of the problem because to them it's huge. You know, address it. Deal with it. You know, okay, I mean, face it. Okay, you understand that it's no big deal, but you don't go laughing at them. <laughs> He's such a loser, you little four-year-old. That's no big deal. You'll find out one day what real problems are, loser. You know, that's not how you handle a four-year-old's got a problem, you know. <laughs> it's not how you handle a teenager that's got a problem either, by the way. Or your wife. Or ladies, your husbands. Hey, you loser, grow up. You know, put some big boy pants on for a change. That's, that's not quite how you handle it, okay. You don't, they don't respond well to that. 
So number one, and we're going to be valiant men and women, <clears throat> exercise yourself in the art of warfare. Two, man, be instructed and inspired by reading good books. You know, get out there and get some of those books that are out there. You will be amazed how God will use them to inspire you. I love them. I, I, they make such a difference. I'm not a big reader. I don't like to read, but I have read and I do read because let's face it, the, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's gospel, buddy. Um, leaders are readers. Just because you read, you may not be a leader, but if you're a leader, you will be a reader. I'm telling you, you, you need to feed yourself uh, and, and to find even, get more than even you can just from the little minute bits and pieces we get even at God's house. Number three, gain confidence by engaging in the battle. Gain confidence by engaging in the battle. Take your Bible real quick. Look at 1 Samuel 17. We're going to move quickly over these next few, even though they're very important, but I think you'll get the gist quickly. Notice 1 Samuel 17, 37. Now, again, David, of course, is there, the Valley of Elah, and on one side, the Philistines, on the other side, Israel. Uh, the big giant comes out, you know, give me a man, give me a man. And all the men of Israel flee. They hide themselves behind the rocks. They're scared out of their minds. David is listening to this and he gets out on the, the floor of that valley and he begins to curse the God of Israel. He begins to curse the armies of Israel. And David, instead of hiding behind the rock, starts to peek over the top. And they're like, get down, David. Don't let him see you. He's a giant. He's huge. He's scary. David says, what, what are you talking about? I've got to see who this big mouth is down there. What in the world? Won't somebody go down there and shut him up? Listen to what he's saying about our God. Listen to what he's saying about our, 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 our uh, uh, armies. Man, we serve the living God. Isn't there a man among us? Is there not a cause? Can't somebody do something? Little David had a fire burning in his heart. And so he ends up going before Saul and he says, Man, listen, I'm going to do something. I don't care. I can't stand by and listen to this mess. And so here's Saul. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 17, David said moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Can, can you imagine? Honestly, can you imagine? He will deliver me out of the paw of this Philistine. Hey, uh, out of the hand of this Philistine. Come on up here, Matthew. Come on up here real quick. Stand right there, though. Okay, there's David. Here's Goliath. Right there. Little David, Goliath. Now, here's interesting. This is interesting to me. Come here, Cody. Stand over here. Well, no, sit down, Cody. Brad, why don't you come here? Why don't you stand up here, Brad? You're more like Goliath. <laughs> That's better. Okay, now watch this. Okay, here's the deal. I'm on my tippy toes. But anyway, here's David. Here's Saul. You realize Saul was a head taller than all the other guys the Bible tells us? He's a head taller. But here's little David now telling him he's going to deliver the people of God. That, hey, listen, I fought the lion. I fought the bear. God delivered me out of the hand of those, the paw out of the, of the paw of those two animals. And guess what? He's going to deliver me out of the hand of that Philistine back there. So here's little David. Here's the Goliath. Here's, David, here's Saul. And Saul says, all right, brother, take him down, big boy. Isn't that crazy? Saul, head taller than him at least. At least. Here's little David. He might have been even less. He might have only been to Huron Saul. 
I mean, he's over here. Yeah, you go ahead. Take him on, boy. Deal with him. Yeah, that's right. You got him, man. Isn't that crazy? Uh, to me, that's kind of humorous almost, but it's nuts. And so David's going to fight this Goliath. And you don't know why David's going to fight this Goliath? You know what gives him the courage to face Goliath? Someone says, his God, his relationship with the Lord. Well, that, yes, but hold on. He had gained confidence by engaging in battle already. David was battle-tested. Oh, he hadn't fought a man, but he had fought a bear. He fought a lion. I don't know about you, but I don't want to fight no bear or lion. David fought a bear and lion. As a result of that, he was battle-tested. As a result of that, when it came time to really fight the battle, to get bloody, he said, you know what? I've been there. I've been at the brink of death. I know what it was to put my life on the line to save those sheep. And I'm going to put my life on the line to save Israel now. Thanks. See, if you're going to be a valiant man or woman, if you're going to truly do battle with the enemy, you need to gain confidence by engaging in the battle. We need to get out there knocking on those doors. We've got to get involved in the Sunday school. We need to be on the buses. We need to be out where the people are. We need to get into that spiritual warfare and get a little battle tested and a battle scarred. Man, when I was in the military, we used to work on all these different uh, obstacle courses. But then one day they decided that we wanted to be a little more battle tested than we were. And so what they did is they took live fire and started shooting it over our heads as we went under Constantine wire and all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, now it was a lot higher than I could imagine in my mind. I'm sure. I probably could have stood up and it probably wouldn't even touched me. But all I knew is it felt like it was whizzing right over my head as you could hear going. Man, I'll tell you what, that was different. When you were being tested under fire, live fire, other than just going through the motions, it was a difference. And let me tell you, until you actually get in the battle, you can't possibly imagine what it's like. I mean the real battle. David had done some real warfare at a, at a different scale or a different level. And may, may I say, you and I today, if we're going to be valiant men and women, we need to step into the battle a little bit. We need to get battle tested. And there's going to be a few scars along the way. There'll be a few casualties here and there. But the fact is, if you truly want to go out and win and uh, uh, defeat some giants, you want to rescue those that are bound in sin, then you're going to have to start getting battle tested. Gain some confidence by engaging in the battle. Now, number four, follow the example of a valiant man. Follow the example of a valiant man. This one here is one that's, I think, probably more lost than any today. We are such a prideful and arrogant people. I mean, just the reality. We're prideful. Nobody wants to be under the authority of anybody today. Everybody thinks they know what's best. Everybody wants to do it their way. Every, nobody wants to take advice or leadership. Everybody's an expert. You know, I, I, don't tell me how to run my family. Don't tell me how, you know, to do this, do that. Don't tell me this. Don't tell me that. Uh, what in the world is our problem? Like, we got it all figured out. And we can't take some advice. Like, we can't learn from others. Especially when it comes to, say, the man of God or maybe a spiritual leader in your life. It's important you understand that. And you children, young people and stuff, your parents. And listen, what, how, why in the world would you think you know more than mom and dad? I mean, that's, that's amazing to me. But I'll be honest with you, almost every teenager at some point starts to think that maybe mom and dad got a screw loose, that they're a little bit slow or something. They can't have got it figured out. I mean, you're a very wise young man or young lady tonight if you've come to the conclusion early on in your life that you don't know everything and that maybe you ought to listen to mom and dad because although they may not be, in your opinion, cool or up with the times, the fact is, is that they've experienced a little bit of life and they may know a little bit about what they're talking about. You are a very wise young man and young lady. 
And I think we got some of those here today. I really do. I believe we have those kind of young people here. However, the truth is the temptation will be to think you know more than your family, your parents even. No more than your youth leader. No more than your, uh, maybe one of the men in the church that's been trying to encourage you in your prayer life or your, the, the word of God or whatever. Uh, unwilling to submit to authority. Unwilling to be accountable to somebody. That, that's a pretty pitiful state. And that's where we're at today in the church. We really are as a whole in that position. Very few are willing to put themselves under the authority of another. But if you want to be a valiant person, a valiant man or a woman, you need to follow the example of a valiant man or woman. In 2 Samuel again, chapter 21, verse 18, look there very quickly. 2 Samuel 21, verse 18. One of the reasons we started the... What's, what are we calling it, Steve? And my mind went blank. School of the Prophets. One of the reasons we're starting the little School of the Prophets for our preacher boys is because we, we want them under the authority. We want them accountable. We want to be able to hold them accountable to some standards to help them to, with their, their, their prayer life, that combat that takes place every day, that they're meeting with God, not just going through their prayer uh, lists and so forth, and that they're being consistent at it. Some of them are fairly young men in, in, in the church that are called, and some of you are a little older even. I don't care if you're an adult. You ought to be in that if you're called to the ministry or if you have any inkling of going in the ministry. You ought to submit yourself to the authority of your pastor, for sure. That's important. I know we don't talk about stuff like that today in the church because it's taboo. You know, they won't stay if they think that you want to tell them what to do. Whatever. I'm about tired of not being and, and being bold enough and honest enough to say those things to people. And uh, I think that I'm, I, I realize how important it is these days. It's so valuable. Uh, there's not one young person that shouldn't be under the authority of their parents or a grandparent if you don't have parents, and then your youth leader and your pastor. You need to be willing to be fully, completely open to that. And there's not a man in this church that doesn't need their pastor. There's not one in this church. The truth is there's not one of you in this room today, including myself, that can be perfected in our walk with Christ without the church. And by the way, he gave some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints. <clears throat> Notice what it says here in 2 Samuel 21. We need to be valiant men. Well, we're going to have to follow some valiant men. And there are some here in our midst tonight. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then I, I, I liked preaching this in the Philippines better uh, because I didn't have to have the words right because they didn't know if I was saying them right or not. Sebekiah, or whatever, the, the Hushethite, slew Saph, which was the sons of the giants. Which was the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle on Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jeroogagim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle on Gath. And there was a man of great stature that had on, his, on every hand six fingers. That would have been cool to see. And on every foot, six toes. Barnum and Bailey Circus right there. I mean, that's, that's, that's the sideshow. You know how you go in there and you see the bearded lady? You know, you'd see the man with six hands and six toes, and he'd walk around, you know, and stick, you know, wiggle all six of them. And you'd think that he has a fake one on there, but really, this one's real. It's crazy. Anyway, there was yet a battle on Gad. There was a man of great stature, head on every hand, six fingers, and on every foot, six toes, four and twenty in number. And he was, also was born of the, to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, the, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant, 
in Gath and fell by the hand of David uh, uh, and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So watch what happened. David he kills Goliath. Goliath has four sons. Guess what? David's not killing giants anymore. There are others that are following his example now. I mean, they have watched David. They had seen what he'd done. They said, man, I'll tell you what, I was excited. You wouldn't have believed. I saw that day how David went into that valley years ago. And I saw how David stepped up and fought the battle. He was, he was so confident in his God. I want that kind of confidence. And I want to be a giant slayer just like David. I'm going to do just like he did. And boy, the next chance they had when the giants showed up in the valley, they stepped up and said, you know what? I'm following the example of David. I've seen what he did. I'm going to do it too. And they went down there and slew themselves a giant. Because they followed the example of a valiant man. So you need to identify a valiant man and do as he does. You need to identify a valiant lady, a woman, and do as they do. You want to be valiant? Find somebody valiant. Follow their example. Today, that's something we don't like to do anymore, do we? We, we do things our way. And honestly, you know why we do it our way? This is the real reason. Why we don't want to do it their way is because our way is comfortable. And as long as I'm comfortable, cool. And as a result, in most cases, we never truly experience the victories that God would intend us to. Because there is no way you become an effective soldier without discomfort. Finally, last, see yourself the way God sees you. If you're going to be a valiant man or woman, you have to see yourself the way God does. I'm not going to take the time to read all of it, but over in the book of Judges chapter, 11, uh, chapter 6, the Bible says, There came an angel of the Lord, sat under the oak, which was an Oprah, that pertained unto Joash the Ebezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. He wasn't mocking, he wasn't mocking Gideon that day. I mean, the Midianites had come into the land, they'd occupied the land, they were, they were enforcing their will on the land, they had held, Goli- uh, they'd held uh, Gideon and his family and all the occupants there of Israel uh, under lock and key, if you will. They were bound, they were slaves, if you will, to them. And here he is hiding, threshing wheat for fear that they'll come along and steal the wheat, possibly take his life and his family's even. <laughs> and God says, Thou mighty man of valor. Gideon's, I'm sure he was, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. He's thinking, you're not talking to me. I'm no mighty man of valor. Look at me, I'm threshing wheat, hiding myself from the enemy. I'm afraid of the enemy. I want nothing to do with the enemy. You're calling me a mighty man of valor? But see, God saw him different than he saw himself. And may I say today that God sees you different than you see yourself. The weakest young man, the weakest young lady in this room, God sees you not for who you are now, but who you are inside and will become. God sees your potential. He sees the gold in you, so to speak. He looks past the layers of insecurity, the layers of weakness, the layers of doubt, and He sees that person inside, and He knows that down deep there's a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor in there. You just have to allow God to pull it out of you. It's there. That man or woman of valor is there. Because Christ is in us already. And I want to encourage you to see yourself the way God does. Quit looking at yourself being weak and little and insignificant. 
in God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you are somebody and you're very important to God. You're important to His work. You're valuable to the work of God. Don't ever let Satan tell you that it doesn't matter if you plug in or get involved or if you take a step in that direction. Don't let God, the God of this world, tell you that you're too old to be effective, that you're unable to be used. Your days are all over with. Let the young handle all of it. No, we need some older believers to step up and continue to be mighty men and women of valor so that we have someone to look to, someone to follow. God sees us different than we see ourselves. The world says you're useless. You're a certain age, you might as well take a little pill and be done with it. You're just wasting good oxygen. You're just spending good money. But God says, now, till you take that last breath, you're a mighty man or woman of valor in my eyes, and you can be used to do mighty things if you'll just unleash the man or woman of war. And I just want to encourage you, young and old alike, see yourself the way God sees you. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Yea, uh, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. How do we become valiant men and women? We need them today. In a generation where men and women of God are falling left and right, pastors even are taking a nosedive off the deep end, we need some men and women of valor that will go out into that world and rescue those that have tripped up and fallen to restore them once again back to the faith. To turn them from being a disgrace to being a trophy of grace for the Lord Jesus Christ. Exercise yourself in the art of warfare. Be instructed and inspired by good reading. Gain confidence by engaging in battle. Follow the example of a valiant man or a woman. And finally, see yourself the way God sees you. Mighty men and women of valor. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for just the grace.